Remain standing, grab your Bibles, and turn to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. We're going to read a pretty lengthy chunk of Scripture this morning together. And um, so find that. If you don't have a Bible, um, then we want to, we want to uh, offer you one. There's one in the, in the pocket of the chair in front of you. And you can look at that. If you're using one of those Bibles, we're going to be on page 490 this morning. And so you can look at that. Um, and, uh, uh, and if you don't have a Bible, personally, feel free to take that. That's our gift to you. We want you to have uh, God's Word in your home. And so feel free to take that and, uh, and uh, as our gift to you. Um, so when you get to Mark 5, we're going to begin um, in verse 21. And we're going to read um, the story of a father who came to Jesus on behalf of his children or his child. So let's read that together, beginning in verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years, who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, but was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well." And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in there where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumai, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them to give her something to eat. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Well, as I said, today is Father's Day. And I hope you've all gotten or have, will be getting Hallmark cards and, 
and neckties and, and all those kind of things. Do people still do that? Don't raise your hand if you got your dad a necktie. I don't know that I've ever gotten a necktie for, for um, Father's Day, but I'm here to tell you that I have given plenty of them. It was just different era, I guess, back then. But it's been my great privilege to be a dad to four absolutely amazing young men, just absolutely amazing boys. And speaking of men, I remember yesterday they were boys, and then when I wasn't looking, I turned around and they all became men. Did, did that happen to anyone else in this house? Just, it just, just all of a sudden, there they were. I'm very grateful this morning for the opportunity that I've had to love and to teach and to correct and encourage and tease and wrestle and learn from these guys. As a common greeting in our house, I will often say to my sons, I'm glad I'm your dad. And they will reply most of the time, depending on the day, I'm glad I'm your son. And when they do, my heart smiles. Even before they they were born, as, as Ginger and I were married, had no children, before they were born, I remember thinking about what being a dad would be like. I remember thinking about what I would do as a dad. I thought about what I would do differently than my own dad had done. I had dreams for my as yet unborn children that I hope to see accomplished. Because of this, in in this kind of beginning time, I read the books of James Dobson and Kevin Lehman, and I listened to shows on the radio like Focus on the Family, and I went to seminars with titles like Growing Kids God's Way. And there were things at those places and through those sources I learned that were very helpful, and there were things that I learned that were not so helpful. But oddly, no matter how much I tried to learn, I tried to improve, I tried to gain, there was always, always a situation arising or a problem occurring that the books and the programs and the seminars had not prepared me for. I'm telling you, this parenting stuff, this being a dad, it's tricky. It's tricky. I mean, if you've tried to thread this needle, you know how hard it is. It's tough. Have some of you had a similar experience? You go looking for knowledge and you get the, and, and then you, you find, look on the back of the book and you find out the psychologist has no children. And you're like, what is this moron telling me what to do? Let him spend an afternoon with my kids and figure it out. Perhaps your children right now are young and, and you're wanting to know how to serve them best sacrificially as their dad. Or perhaps your children like mine are grown up and, and you want to still be able to have a godly influence in their life. Well, the, the, because of this, we're coming from different directions. I want to share two fundamental, and you're going to be amazed when you hear just how fundamental, but two fundamental things, just two from the scriptures that I've learned about being a dad. These two things, I'm going to warn you, here's my, here's my disclaimer. They're not going to answer every specific question you have about how to encourage or discipline or inspire your kids. And it's true there may be other more specific things that must be done. But without the foundation of these two things, your parenting is going to be super, super, super difficult. And, and, and your chances of success are going to be dramatically decreased without these two things. 
And they apply to all stages of parenting or fathering or mothering. They, they apply to all stages. So let's recall what we just read. We, we just read the story of Jairus from the book of Mark. The Bible tells us he's a ruler of the synagogue. He, like me, is in ministry. He's serving his community um, and preaching the word of God to him in, in his Jewish context. And he had received absolutely terrible, terrible news. Your 12-year-old daughter is dying. Wow. That would be a gut punch, wouldn't it? Some of you in this room have experienced that. I can't imagine. I, I can't imagine the devastation of getting news like that. Some of you have lost children. I, I can't even begin to pretend like I understand what, you, what you're going through in that loss. But this is Jairus' situation. Your 12-year-old daughter, who you love so much, is dying. But see about Jairus, he, he had heard about a miracle worker from Galilee named Jesus. And he'd heard about this man, how he had healed the blind and healed the deaf and healed the lame and healed even lepers. And he determined to go and find this man and bring him to his daughter so that he could help. And this, my friends, is the first fundamental truth for dads. The first one. Be determined to bring Jesus to your home. Bring Jesus to your home. Because of the terrible curse of sin that we are all infected with, all of our children's lives, every single one of them, are in jeopardy. It's the truth. All of our children's lives are in jeopardy. The word has come. Your child is dying. But let me ask you, as you receive that word, have you heard? Have you heard about this guy, this man, this prophet, this teacher, this miracle worker? Have you heard how he heals the sick and how he exercises power and authority over all the power and authority of the devil? Have you heard? Have you heard how His grace delivers us from the power of sin and from purposeless living and from despair? Have you heard? Have you? If you know Him, if you know of Him, go and find Him. Go get Him. Just like Jairus, go get Jesus. Bring Him into your home. No doubt he'll come. When, when you find him, tell him about your children. Tell him about your wife. Tell him about your own needs. And I promise you that he will come with you with compassion. This is the promise of the Gospels. John 14, 23, Jesus says this, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Now watch, and my Father will love him. And we, being my Father, will come to him and make our home with him. Jesus wants to make your home, his home. Go get him. Go get him. Bring him home. Jairus made up his mind that Jesus was his only hope, so he insisted that he must come into his home. He must go get him. Drag him if he must, but he must bring him back to his home. And we must also determine as dads that Christ is our only hope. 
Not only for our lives, but for the lives of our families as well. This is more difficult than it sounds. Why? Because as you know, there are many things in the world of a man that offer themselves as potential alternate saviors. Success, for example, with all the comforts and convenience that it brings with it, things like prestige and more better material things and better health care and education and a more honorable reputation. We're con- we've convinced ourselves that our kids will be blessed enough by our pursuit of these things. And I'm not telling you not to, not to have a great job and success and do well in all your pursuits, but, but don't mistake those things for the, for the ultimate source of your child's protection, safety, and blessing. Mark 8.36 still rings out. 2,000 years later, Jesus cries out to the crowd. He says this. He says, What does it profit a man? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world? Now, that would be success, right? But what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul? And so much worse if he gains the whole world and forfeits the souls of his children. So much worse. Our children need us, dads. Come on. Our children need us to provide an environment where Christ is exalted in our sacrificial love for our families. And He's exalted in our patient attitude with our children when they falter. But more than that, more than that, they need to see a dad who himself is shamelessly clinging to Christ as his only hope in life and living Firmly submitted to his lordship. That's what our kids need. That's what they really need. Not another thing. Not another trophy. Not another you know, opportunity. They need a dad who is absolutely immersed in Jesus. Dear our children, see that Christ is everything to us, that He has literally made a home, made at home in our home. Is He everything to us? Does He just appear rather to be an accessory to our already overcrowded lives? Yeah, we might fit Him in two Sundays a month, or maybe if something really goes bad, we might bow our heads and pray, but, but He's just an accessory. Our lives are already too busy for Him. Do we delegate the discipleship And the spiritual formation of our children only to church. Do Sunday school teachers and youth group leaders, do they take the lead in in showing our children Jesus? Or do we take it as our daily duty to invite Christ into our homes and into our lives in tangible, visible ways? Examine yourself. Examine yourself, Dad. What priority does prayer and worship have in your home? If they're practiced, are they practiced mostly by you, mostly by your spouse, or mostly together? When stress and affliction and disappointment occur in your home, how do your children see you respond? By running to and clinging to Christ Jesus, or just complaining and moaning and griping and cursing and, and falling apart at the seams? Or do they, they, they see you as we sang this morning saying, listen kids, my hope is built on nothing less 
than Jesus and his righteousness. I don't need, listen, listen, I'm not talking about turning into some goody two-shoes, perfect, spiritual, you know, pope in your home. I don't need my kids to see me as flawless. Everybody go, oh, thank God, because I've already done blown it. I do not need my kids to see me as flawless. I don't even need my kids to see me as sinless. I don't need my kids to see me as perfect. But here's what I hope that they see me. This is how, when they finally lay me in the ground, this is what I hope my kids saw me. This is what I hope that they will remember. That I was a man who dependently, shamelessly, was found clinging to Christ. Not just at church, but in the heat of my daily life. That I was clinging to Christ. For every bit, every shred of my hope was found in Jesus Christ. Notice also how Jairus handled these distractions that came into his life. What are you talking about? Well, we read a long passage of scripture because I didn't want to take out the part about the woman with the issue of blood. Because notice this. Notice the absurdity of this. Jairus tells Jesus Christ, my daughter is dying. He puts out a 911 call to Jesus. And then all of a sudden, in the urgent rush to get home to heal the daughter, a woman shows up crawls through the crowd and touches his garment and is healed. And, and let me ask you, let's be real here. You know, sometimes we elevate Bible characters to some saintly status, like they walk around with halos on their head. Let me, let me ask you this. Do you think when Jesus slowed down to acknowledge this woman that Jairus was just saying, well, let's just take a moment and worship God what he's just done. Do you think of that? No, he was saying, uh, Jesus, we're kind of on a schedule here. She's healed. She's fine. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. My daughter is dying. But let me tell you something. Jesus is able to handle it all. He's able to handle it all. So, so Jairus has this distraction. He really wants to get Jesus in his home. There's this distraction. There will always be distractions in our lives. There's going to be times when we have to work more than normal. There's, there's times when the, you know, our, our kids are in a, in a state where they seem to blow us off or our spouse and I are having tension. But like Jairus, like Jairus, it is important to stay on task and get Jesus home. Get him to the house. See, he could have gone, well, obviously Jesus cares more about this woman than my daughter. I guess I'm done. And we could laugh at that, but I'm telling you, many guys have done that. A distraction comes up and they go, they go, um, uh, you know, well, I'm, I'm in the middle of this crisis and obviously Jesus doesn't care. So I'm going to stop pressing in. I'm going to stop trying. I'm going to stop showing up to play. And, and guess what? And that is the point. That is the point usually where they're utterly defeated. Keep pressing. No matter what comes up, the goal is to have your house saturated with the presence of Jesus Christ. No matter what, keep pressing. Man, I've blown the first 15 years of my kid's life. Start now! Press in. Get Jesus in your home. Like Jairus, will we keep on task and bring Jesus home in good times and bad times, times of plenty, times of need? It's when Jesus is invited, and not just invited, but escorted into our homes, that our children have the greatest opportunity to be made alive from sin and raised to follow Christ. All right, let's move on to to foundational truth number two. Open your Bibles again, just a few pages over. We're going to look at Mark chapter 9. 
And this time, if you're using the church Bible, you're going to be on page 493. So the first step is to bring Jesus into your home. And in Mark chapter 9, we're going to find the second foundational truth of, uh, of great fathering, great parenting. Mark chapter 9, verse 17, beginning, it says, And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit, an unclean spirit or a demon that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them, Jesus, he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, saw Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, it's often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for him who believes. All things are possible. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. Now listen, while we must resolve, church, first, to bring Christ into our homes, it is also always appropriate, always necessary that we not only bring Christ into our home, but that we bring our children to Christ. So you have step one, make sure your home is an environment where Christ is welcomed and glorified. And step two, take your children to Christ in every possible way, in every possible opportunity. Get your kids to Jesus. Just as the influence of setting up a Christ-centered home cannot be overstated, it means nothing if we don't also constantly deliver our children up to the Lord. We've got to get them there. The dad in Mark 9 was not able to help his son. I know that in modern church culture, we usually like a good motivational speech, five steps to a better home. Listen, there are going to be times in your home you cannot help. There will be days, there will be situations that arise where you cannot help. There will be times when you will bring your church to a preacher, a priest, a you know, pastor, or whatever, counselor, teacher, and you'll find that they cannot help. They brought this boy to the disciple, they were the disciples, he was they were powerless to help this boy. He couldn't help. The ones who were supposed to be able to help couldn't help. Who does that leave? Only Christ could help. 
And listen to you, I'm not trying to speak a cloud or bad news, but there are going to be days, especially if your children are young and you think they're always going to walk around with those cherub bases and halos on. Think again. There are going to be days where you're going to look at, you look at your children and you're going to say, I got nothing. I got nothing. So what do you do? You bring them to Jesus. You bring them to Jesus. Some of us right now are watching as our children are gravitating towards behaviors that we might just tell ourselves, oh, they're just phases. Everybody goes through that. Kids are just like that. But what we may not see, our children's spiritual condition, honestly, as desperate as a man whose son was demon-possessed, the fact of the matter is, listen to me, that the natural drift of your child's heart because of sin is always away from Jesus. There is no current that is pushing your kids towards Jesus. Their, their, their natural drift is always away from Jesus. So if they're going to get to Jesus, it may require you picking them up and going against the current, going against the stream and getting them to Jesus. How are we going to carry them back to the safety of his arms? Jesus has already commanded. He already commanded it that we make a clear path to, so our little ones can have access to him. You remember Matthew nineteen fourteen. Jesus said, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. Make a clear path. Bulldoze the path. Make it easy for our kids to come to Jesus while we pray for him every single Sunday. He says, this is, why, this is the, how the kingdom of God works. He says, for such children belongs the kingdom of heaven. So how do we practically bring our kids to Jesus? Obviously, we can't pick them up in our arms and go find Jesus at the mall and drop them off. Some of you would have done that long time ago and forgotten that they were there. So how do we practically bring our kids to Jesus? First, recognize that it's hard. Now listen to me. This is where it gets a little pinchy. But it's hard to bring a kid to Jesus who's coming from a home where Jesus has not been welcomed, where Jesus has not been prioritized, and where Jesus has not been submitted to. And that's why I began there. That's why I said, first, make your home a home where Jesus has been invited in. And if that's not the case, that's the first thing you got to do. Take the first part of this message and focus on that, and then you can do the second part. But assuming that you've been doing that and your home has been developing as a, as a place where Christ is welcomed and glorified, start by having those children in places where their hearts can be influenced by the Word of God, where they can be influenced by the power of the Spirit and by the fellowship of the saints. And this means primarily, here I go, Mr. Old Fashioned, this means primarily keep your kids in church. Get your kids in church. Listen, I don't stand anything to gain personally from them being here. Most of them don't give, okay? So I'm telling you, I'm telling you there is a lot larger reason than having a big church for you to have your kids in church. It's important. And, and dads, listen to me. Don't send your kids to church. Take your kids to church. Take them to church. I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm pleading with you for the spiritual lives of your children. Don't just send them. 
Don't put them on the church bus. We don't even have one, but don't put them on a church bus and just wave goodbye while you go and get another 45 minutes of sleep. Get them to church. Take them there. Go as a family. Have them in children's groups like we have on Sunday mornings, youth groups, youth camps, life groups, and so much more. Have them in there. That's not the only answer. Guess what? Another place where Jesus probably isn't is sitting in front of an Xbox all day. Anybody got a pulse this morning? Jesus probably isn't planted in front of a television screen or an iPhone screen or an iPad screen all day long. Get your kids in places where they can have the word of the God, the word of God, the power of the spirit and the fellowship of the saints. Get them with godly friends. Open the scriptures at, at the dinner table. Do whatever you have to do to create the environment where your kids can be influenced by God's word, his spirit and the saints. There's an epidemic of young people going to college, getting away from mom and dad and leaving the church and leaving their Christianity behind. And this cannot be too surprising if we, the moms and dads, have taught them that the body of Christ is only important if it's convenient. Come on now. We've taught them that. We've demonstrated that. I know you're saying, well, Mark, we're here. You're preaching to the choir. I get that. I get that, but I know that there's people here that need to hear this. If you have, if you have demonstrated for your children that, that, that the word of God, the, the, the uh, power of the spirit and the fellowship of the saints is only important if it's convenient, then you've already, you've already barred them from coming to Jesus. This shouldn't surprise us that kids are leaving the church when we show them that gathering with the saints to worship and hear God's word takes a much lower priority than little league work, sleeping or a night of television. Bringing them to Jesus cannot be separated from bringing your children to church. Second, learn to listen with new ears to your children's questions. When they ask you about life and death and, and theology and God and, and, you know, just how relationships work and all those things, listen to those questions. Sometimes they're going to be subtle. The questions will be subtle. Sometimes they'll be direct. Sometimes, uh, the, the, the questions will be behind the question or the statement or the behavior, but learn to listen and learn to listen to what they're saying and what they're doing with this question in mind. What does that say about what they believe about God? You follow me? Don't, don't just say, Hey, knock that off. Don't say, Hey, do better. Hey, change. Say, what does what my child just said or did teach me about what they think about God, about grace, about the, the way that God has created the kingdom to work in their lives. Learn to find the answers to those questions. Answer directly their questions about God and life and sin and death and heaven and hell and judgment and salvation. Learn to seek answers from the scriptures. That's why we want you to have a Bible. That's why we want you in your Bible. We want you to know the contents of your Bible. Learn to seek answers from the scriptures, but also learn to listen to the spirit and learn to, to do this all in, co- in uh, cooperation with the body of saints. And, and also do it together with your children. If they have a question, you can't answer it. Say, hey, let's together pull out the Bible. Let's together get Pastor Dave on the phone and let's figure out the answer to this question. 
Do it together. Don't shirk your, your role, dads, as your child's spiritual guide and their Bible instructor. It is your job. And last, thirdly, bring your kids to Jesus by praying for them. Pray for your children. And I don't mean to say God is great, God is good, or now I lay me down to sleep type prayers. Do war in the heavenlies. Do war with God on behalf of your children. Do war. Declare war on the enemy. Get the armies of heaven behind you. And and, and know that the man who prays has tremendous power. Tremendous power to change things. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? We have biblical examples. Abraham prayed for not not the son of promise, Isaac, but for his son Ishmael. He prayed to God. He said, oh, that my son Ishmael may live before you. And God heard him as a result of that prayer. He gave Ishmael an incredible blessing. Job prayed for his children every single day just in case they committed some wickedness that he hadn't heard about. Jacob laid hands and prayed for all of his children and his grandchildren, giving them incredible destiny-shaping blessings over their life. And don't just pray for your kids. Pray with your kids. Find out what the anxieties and the fears of their little hearts are and cry out to God with them that God would come and visit them early in life with peace and with miracles. Admittedly, now listen, Hey, listen to me, guys, especially guys, I'm talking to you. Admittedly, all of this may seem like a daunting task. Say, man, I couldn't tell you my Genesis from my revelation. I get that. I understand. Listen, I'm telling you, I promise you this. I, I don't find it any easier than what I know you might be feeling right now. It's a daunting task, especially, especially if you don't think of yourself as particularly spiritual. But I love this in that second story we read. When you feel overwhelmed by the responsibility that lies on your shoulders, cry out to Jesus for yourself, just like the man in Mark 9 did. Do you remember what he said? He said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. God, I can't do this on my own. I don't even know where to start. I don't know how to help. I'm scared to death. I brought him to, I, I can't do anything. I brought him to your disciples. They can't do anything. I need your help, Lord. I believe. Help my unbelief. And I'm telling you, a man whose heart starts there will not be denied by God. God will help you. He will show up and he will help you to be the dad that he has called you to be. In our home, I mean the Sharp family, we've had... Many times when what our children needed from God was way, way, way beyond our parental skill and ability. It was way beyond what any man could do. We've seen in our children, we've seen our children at different seasons and lives of their life caught up in sin. We've seen them caught up in despair and depression. I'm here to tell you that they're all serving God now. Uh, but that's not always the case. I, I mean, it hasn't always been the case. Many of you remember the story uh, that happened a few years ago, how Cameron had come into our bedroom and said, guess what, mom and dad? I'm an atheist. And this is not something that he just got mad at God and figured out. He had been stewing in this for several months, maybe over a year. He'd been thinking, I'm an atheist. This is who I am. And he finally told us, And you talk about an emotional wrecking ball crashing into us. We were devastated by that news. What did we do? There was nothing we could convince him to believe. Nothing. 
My ability was done. I had reached the limit of my ability to help him. So what did we do? We decided, oh yeah, I am a stewardship dad. I'm not the real dad. You hear me? I said, I'm going to cry out to his true father because I know his father can do something. And so we did. We cried out to their true father night after night, day after day. We did it in days of encouragement and faith and nights of darkness, fear and desperation. We brought our kids and we still do to Jesus. And let me tell you something. Jesus has never let us down. Not once. Not once. He has never let us down. Men, we can't forget that it's you and I, it's the men, it's the dads that have been called to lead our homes. The Bible makes it clear that we are the authorized head of our homes. We're authorized to lead. And being the head means that we will be held accountable for the kind of husband we are to our wives as well as the kind of fathers that we are to our children. Now that sounds hard, doesn't it? Because when I say that, every one of you goes guilt just crushing in on you. I know it. I've been there. Ah, I could have done better if you're old like me. If you're young, I'm, I can do better now. You feel that. But listen, I want to tell you something. There is no way, I mean it. I'm not going to tell you the, this magical formula. There's no way any one of us can stand up under what's required of us in our own strength. There's no way. The task is too big. It will crush us every single time. And that, that is why we need Jesus to take up residence in our homes. And that is why we must bring our children daily to Jesus, pick them up and carry them. He is their only hope. Listen to me carefully. Jesus Christ is my four boys' only hope. It's not a great education. It's not terrific health care, well-paying job. I want them to have all that stuff. I want them to have all of it. But none of those things are, are their hope. Their only hope is Jesus Christ, crucified, resurrected, and reigning. That's all they got. It's the only thing they've got. And my question to you is, Dad, what I just said, do you believe that? Come on. Let me hear you. Do you believe that? That their only hope is Jesus Christ. Listen, if you're a great dad, you're going to make sure they have all those other things to the best of your ability. But if you, if you miss this, you've missed it all. You've missed it all. So I want to pray for you this morning, all of you, every dad in this room, that God will show you what to do in your unique situation. Your situation is not like mine. Mine's not like yours. I want, I want to believe that God's going to show you this morning something to do in your unique situation. That he'll give you the courage. If you've been apathetic and lazy, and we all are at times, I want to pray that he'll give you the courage to repent of ap- apathy and laziness in our parenting. And that he'll give you the power this morning, not sometime down the road when things look better, but that he'll give you the power right now to obey him. So today, I'm inviting you guys. Jesus is waiting. Jesus is standing around waiting for you to go grab him by the, phone, by, the hand, by the hand and say, Hey, Jesus, my daughter is dying. My son 
is under the power of the enemy. Come help. Come home with me, Jesus, and help us. Bring Jesus home starting today. And then make a commitment. I don't know how it's, how it's going to look. I don't know how long I'll have to do this. But I am going to bring my children to Jesus and lay them at his feet every day. I'm going to have them making sure that they're participating in the word, the spirit, the fellowship of the saints. I'm going to make sure that, that I am engaging with them on, on more than just a surface level, that we're talking about the deep things of God. I am going to the best of my ability. I'm going to make sure that I don't let a day go by that I do not cry out their names to a God who is their true father. He is all they need. The great missionary William Carey once said this. He said, I am not afraid. Listen, guys, listen up carefully. Give me all your attention. William Carey said, I am not afraid of failure. I am afraid of succeeding at things that do not matter. Gentlemen, this is our most important task as dads. Our most important task. Let us pray together that we may not succeed at any other venture at the expense of this one. And all the guys said...